Now, if you do have your Bible there, please do turn back to Matthew chapter 15 and verses 1 to 20 as we look at this passage this morning. Over the past year or so, have we ever washed our hands so much? Obviously, because of the threat of coronavirus, we've been encouraged to wash our hands at every turn and, of course, sanitize our hands too. And so anytime we go into a shop, it's straight to the sanitizer station uh, before you go in to do your shopping. And even here in the church, uh, when the church was open and hopefully uh, after Easter we will be able to be open again, when people come into the church, they, they are asked to sanitize their hands. We have our own sanitizing stations here in the church too. This week, some of our youngest children, those in nursery and those in primary one to three, returned to school. And one of the things that they have been doing in school is the children have been constantly asked to wash their hands and sanitize their hands. So much so that some of the children's hands were, were getting red raw. And so they were also encouraged to bring moisturizer for their hands too, along with their sanitizer. As a nation, have we ever been so clean? And I'm pretty sure that I read a statistic that suggested that because of all the hand washing and the sanitizing going on, as well as face coverings and other lockdown measures, the other infections other than coronavirus, um, such as flu and other infections, had been a lot lower uh, this year. I'm not sure if that is true or not. Now in our passage today in Matthew chapter 15, we're looking at the whole area of cleanliness and the nature of true cleanliness and what cleanliness in a godly sense is all about. Now remember here that over the past few weeks, starting with the parables of the kingdom in Matthew chapter 13, that we've been thinking about the different reactions to Jesus. Because in those parables, Jesus makes it abundantly clear that there are some who are of the kingdom of heaven and there are some who are not of the kingdom of heaven. There are some who will respond to Jesus and there are others who will not respond to Jesus. And in the following passages after those parables, we've seen the practical outworking of this, that some respond to Jesus and some don't. So we saw the people of Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, and they don't respond to Jesus. They show no faith. Herod, King Herod, doesn't show any faith. He kills John the Baptist and later eh, basically puts Jesus to death, condemns Jesus too. The 5,000, when they go around the other side of the lake, remember when Jesus wanted a bit of solitude, they do respond to Jesus in faith. The disciples do respond to Jesus in faith when they see Jesus walking on the water, as we saw uh, last week, and they bow down. They declare him the Son of God, and they worship him. The people of Genesaret, as we saw at the end of last week's passage, they also do, and Jesus does many miracles there. Now this morning, as we move into chapter 15, we see another group of people who don't respond to Jesus. 
Because obviously hearing reports about Jesus and all that he's been doing, his teaching and his, his miracles and the, the stir that he is causing, some Pharisees and teachers of the law or scribes have made the trip all the way to Galilee to find out about Jesus and to find out what he's teaching, what he's doing, probably to check up on him. But clearly here, as we find in other places, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are not really interested in truth. They're not truly interested in what Jesus is saying. They're not truly interested in what Jesus is doing or who he is. What they are interested in is simply trying to catch him out and to trick Jesus and to try and trip him up. And so these Pharisees and, and scribes, they approach Jesus and they nitpick. And they say to Jesus, why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, before we get any ideas about this question being simply about cleanliness before eating, in the same way that we would ask our, our children or our grandchildren uh, to wash their hands before a meal, that's not what's going on here. What the Pharisees are asking about here is ceremonial washing. Now note here that the ceremonial washing that's talked about here has no scriptural warrant. It's not something that's found in the commandments. It's simply a tradition that's been added in. You see, the priests who served in the temple had to wash in a ceremonial way to be ritually clean. And the Pharisees had extended this to, to everyone, that this was the expectation that everyone would have to wash in this way. It was not required by the law as found in the Torah. And yet, as the Pharisees watched the disciples, they nitpicked. They were trying to find fault. Now, how would Jesus respond to this? Well, Jesus' response is comprehensive in this passage, isn't it? And as he often does in a situation like this, he returns the Pharisees' question with a question himself. He says to them, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? And Jesus then goes on to explain how the Pharisees are hypocritical. As he memorably says elsewhere, the Pharisees are guilty of straining a gnat but swallowing a camel. In other words, they nitpick over the, the smallest thing that isn't of the essence whilst glossing over the big thing that they should be doing. And so Jesus goes on to explain how the Pharisees are hypocritical. And Jesus uses the example of honoring your father and your mother, a law, of course, that is part of the Ten Commandments. And he shows how the Pharisees fail to keep this commandment, but instead try to find a loophole to get around it. You see, instead of using what they had, most likely their finances, to, to honor their father and mother, to look after their father and their mother, the Pharisees tried to get around that command 
by claiming that their money was devoted to God, something called Corbin. And so they excused themselves of responsibility of looking after their father and their mother by saying, look, the money that we have is, is Corbin. It's set aside for God. Therefore, I can't honor my father and my mother. I can't look after them. In other words, they find a loophole to excuse themselves from the law. And Jesus wants to show how hypocritical it is to point out his disciples not doing something which was simply a custom or a tradition, not a law, whilst the Pharisees themselves were finding loopholes not to do God's law. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, you nullify the word of God for the sake of tradition. You hypocrites. And Jesus then goes on to quote from Isaiah to show that the Pharisees' hearts are far from God and their teachings are merely human. Now, as we read this today, the first thing we need to think about is tradition and custom. You see, the Pharisees had many traditions, many customs, and clearly a lot of them were to do with outward appearance. They weren't really to do with a changed and a contrite heart. And because they were keeping these traditions, they thought they were in the right place with God. A rabbi called Rabbi Tanith said this, Whoever has his abode in the land of Israel and eats his common food with washed hands and speaks the holy language and recites his phylacteries morning and evening, he may rest assured he shall obtain eternal life. How wrong was this rabbi? Because basically this rabbi is saying, you know, if you do the outward things, works righteousness, if we want to put it in those terms, then that's going to save us. That's going to bring us eternal life. Let me be clear this morning. It isn't. And Jesus makes that abundantly clear. You see, it isn't outward appearance, but it is a changed a contrite heart, a heart that's cleansed, a heart that is right with God. Now, of course, no one has that heart. No one is truly good enough to be pure before a holy and almighty God. But Jesus, he is holy. He is righteous. And it is by believing and trusting in him that we are made right with God and our heart is made pure. And we must be careful in our lives that we don't rely on custom or tradition or outward form to save us. That we don't say that, you know, because we're a member of the church or because we think we're, we're a good person that's better than other people that all will be well. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what Jesus taught. And we need to make sure that we don't rely on tradition to save us. Now after this, in verse 10, we see Jesus calling the crowd to him. And from this point on, including from verse 15 onwards, when Jesus is speaking uh, to Peter and the other disciples, 
Jesus goes on to explain what it truly means to be clean and goes on to explore the nature of true cleanliness. Now, when we read what Jesus has to say here, we have to take a step back to realize how radical this is. You see, we might see Peter questioning Jesus in verse 15. And we might think to ourselves, come on, Peter. What what Jesus is saying here is quite easy to understand. It's quite straightforward. But think about it. For a Jew who's used to all these customs, traditions, what Jesus is saying here is quite radical. Because Jesus' message is this, that it's not the outward going inward that makes you unclean. It's the inward coming outward that makes you unclean. In other words, it's not food that makes you unclean. Rather, it's what comes out of the heart. And as Jesus explains, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, etc., they come from the evil within our hearts. That's what defiles someone. It's not what goes in. But on the other side, true goodness comes from a cleansed and a changed heart. And this cleansed heart is then able to express itself in right behavior. Now, of course, a clean heart only comes from the work of God within a person. And good behavior is a symptom of true goodness not a cause of it. As I said earlier, it's not good works which save us, but a heart purified by Jesus will produce good works. Now, this is so radical for the disciples and for the crowd and for the Pharisees, because in saying these things, Jesus is effectively abolishing the the food laws Something that would be completed in Acts chapter 10 with the the vision, remember, that Peter receives of unclean food coming down and God declaring it clean. Now, of course, after Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10, what do we have? We have Peter receiving a vision of people coming to his house and then they come. They come to his house and knock on the door and Peter ends up going to a Gentile's house. And a Gentile ends up coming into the kingdom of heaven, clearly shown by how he and his household receive the Holy Spirit. And this parallels, in Acts chapter 10, it parallels what happens here in Matthew chapter 15. You see, after Jesus has spoken about the true nature of cleanliness, here in Matthew 15, what we find in the the rest of the chapter are two amazing stories of how Jesus reaches out to the Gentiles, the Canaanite woman, and then the feeding of the 4,000, which God willing will look at in a couple of weeks' time. You see, the gospel, the kingdom of heaven, is not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles too, for all who will believe, for all who have their hearts changed by Jesus. So I say to you today, 
Let us not rely on tradition or custom or outward appearance. Let's not rely on our works. And we have to be careful about tradition taking, pl- taking place or taking the place of what is godly. Let us know that what matters is our heart and what comes out of our heart. You see, we need a heart that is changed, a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone, a heart where good things come out, not evil things. We need a heart changed by Jesus. So today, are we a nitpicker like the Pharisees, straining a gnat but swallowing a camel? Or do we know that over tradition and custom, God wants our heart. He wants people who truly honor him and glorify him and praise him in spirit and in truth. Let's not follow the blind guides. By doing so, we'll simply fall into the pit, as Jesus says. But let's follow Jesus this radical Jesus that we see in this passage. Let's follow him and find the way of salvation and find the way of life. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. C.H. Spurgeon prayed this. Blessed Master, wash me within and save me from the defilements of corrupt nature. Help me not to make outward forms my trust, but in the hidden parts purify me. And this is our prayer, Lord God, that you would cleanse us in our hearts through the blood of Jesus. That we would understand that what happens within us is much more important than outward forms, outward forms of tradition and custom. Lord God, may we never be trusting in our own goodness, in our own works. May we never look down on others, thinking they're not as good as us. Because when we look within, we recognize that all of our hearts are black. All of our hearts need changed. But we thank you, Lord God, that you sent Jesus into the world to change our hearts, to change their blackness, and to make them pure. We thank you that because of Jesus, because of his death on the cross, all our sins are forgiven and we are set free, set free from guilt and shame. And we thank you that we can come into your very presence as changed people. Lord God, as our hearts are changed within us, we recognize that that also changes our outward behavior that we're not the people that we were before, but we are born again and we are made new. Lord God, may we walk in step with your Holy Spirit, be the people you have called us to be, to your glory, honour and praise. So Lord God, hear this, our prayer, in Jesus' name. Amen.